0: heights to the depths of the sea
1: she said to her husband look now i know that this is a holy man of god who passes by us regularly and so please let us make a small upper room on the wall and let us put a bed for him there and a table and a chair and a lampstand. so it will be um, whenever he comes to us he can turn in there and i think of this and what an amazing woman every
0: creature's unique in All exclaiming in his cry Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining us. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher Rob Kellogg. This remarkable relationship between Elisha and the Shunammite woman began when the woman sought to do something for the prophet. Elisha didn't seek anything from this woman, but she eventually persuaded him to eat some food as the guest of her hospitality. The Shunammite woman then sought to do more for the prophet. With the approval of her husband, they made a room for Elisha to stay in on his frequent travels through the area. This woman was a good example for us because as Christians, we are called to always be hospitable to others. Now let's join Pastor Rob's teaching already in progress.
1: Vessels Do not gather just a few. Underline that whole thing. If you're willing, you don't have to do anything, but I want to show you something here, and we'll get into it. And then down in verse 6, do the same thing. Look down in verse 6, and it'll uh, underline this phrase, bring me another vessel, and then later in that verse, underline, there is not another vessel, so the oil ceased. Underline that phrase, those two phrases as well, and we'll get to that. So Elisha says to her, then he said, go borrow vessels from everywhere, from your neighbors, empty vessels, don't gather just a few. In other words, gather as many as you can and bring them to your house. And when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your son. So it was going to be a private thing between the mom and her two sons with all of these vessels in the house and then this little thing of oil, all that she had. And I love that, that God says, now you go in your house with your two sons and shut the door. Nobody else needs to see this. This is something that God is going to do for you, and he's going to blow your mind, and he's going to help you. Why? Because not only does he care about a widow, but God is just a good God. And here's this, this this woman who has great needs, and her sons might not be that old either, so maybe they aren't really in the place of being able to... You know, I don't, I don't know that they were teenagers. It doesn't really tell us their age. But I think we'll see. Um, actually, uh, never mind that. <laughs> so, notice. So, oil in the Scripture we know is symbolic of the Holy Spirit, especially as it is often poured out on individuals for anointing. And we see this in the Old Testament. In Psalm 133, Uh, verses 1 and 2, it says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron running down on the edge of his garments. And so that's how Aaron was anointed with oil and it speaks of the Holy Spirit. And I I believe that picture was not only for anointing, but we're going to see that as we go along, even in Exodus uh, 29, Uh, Beginning in verse 5, when Aaron and his sons were consecrated, it says this, Then you shall take the garments, put the tunic on Aaron, and the robe of the ephod, the ephod and the breastplate, and gird them with the intricately woven band of the ephod. You shall put the turban on his head, and put the holy crown on the turban. And you shall take the anointing oil, and pour it on his head, and anoint him. Again, uh, another anointing of oil, and the uh, speaking of, uh, in a sense, and I believe that was the whole point of the whole thing, was just symbolic of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And certainly we see in the New Testament, in Matthew chapter 3, when Jesus was um, baptized by John. It says in Matthew 3.16 that when Jesus had been baptized, he came up immediately from the water and behold, the heavens were opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. Speaking of the dove and the, and the Holy Spirit and then in Acts, we see also this idea of the Holy Spirit coming upon like the oil of the Old Testament. We see that in on the, on the day of Pentecost, when, the, when it says that uh, there appeared uh, on the disciples in the upper room, divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And so this oil, God brings the oil, and they're empty. They don't have anything. They got one little thing of oil, and they got a creditor that's on, our, on his way to Put his son and her two sons into slavery. And then, after he takes away her sons, then she doesn't have anything, anybody to help her to gather food and do those things. Which sons, as they would grow, they would mature and do those things. And so she's going to be in a really bad predicament. Hopefully, she's got really good family. Hopefully, they're still alive. So she went in verse 5 and shut the door behind her and her sons and who brought vessels to her and she poured it out now it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son bring me another vessel and I had you underline that because and he said to her there is not another vessel and so the oil ceased and Um, If more vessels were available, the oil probably wouldn't have ceased. I believe that there's there's a lesson here. There's something that the Lord wants to show us here, is that as many vessels that could have been brought into that house... Could have been filled. And, and I often wonder, you know, um, you know, we don't know how many vessels the mom and the sons obtained. Did they only go to just a few neighbors? Did they go to only the families in town? Or, or did they really just go out and, and really search out as many as they can? And people are going to be scratching their heads wondering, what are you, what are you doing? And, um, but regardless of how many she brought, it was enough for them. They were able to pay their debt, as we've read already and take care of their needs and really that's the main thing but God was looking out for them and he's he's looking out for you as well. Do you know that? Are are you the sole provider of everything that you do? The job that you do wasn't it given to you by God? Isn't God sustaining you in your job? And when he decides that you are let go for some reason, is he aware of that before it happens? Does he have something else in plan? He does. He's a good God. You know, I think of the wine miracle at the in um, in Cana of Galilee. Remember Jesus' first miracle? They ran out of wine. So Jesus tells the servants to fill up these these cleansing jars, these big jars, fill them up with water. Fill them all up with water. And they did. And then Jesus started having them pour out. And there was wine. The water was made into wine miraculously. When they didn't have anything. I mean, think about that. That's a a pretty significant thing. In 2 Kings chapter 13, actually, why don't you turn there with me? You're not too far away from it. Just turn to 2 Kings 13. We're going to see another interesting thing here, because as the woman's faith was, so was her result. In other words, if she would have only brought three jars in and she poured in those three jars... And then she tried to pour into something else, the oil would cease. Do you follow what I'm saying? As was her faith, so was her result. And keep that in your mind because we're going to see the very same principle being meted out in Second Kings 13. Beginning in verse 14, notice what it says. It says that Elisha had become sick with the illness of which he would die, and then Joash, notice the king of Israel, came down to him and wept over his face and said, "O oh, my father, my father!" The chariots of Israel and their horsemen. And Elisha said to him, "Take a bow and some arrows." And so he took himself a bow and some arrows. And then he said to the king of Israel, "But your hands, uh, put your hands on the bow." And so he put his hand on it, and Elisha put his hands on the king's hands, and he said, "Open the east window." And he opened it, and then Elisha said, Shoot, and he shot. And he said, The arrow of the Lord's deliverance, and the arrow of deliverance from Syria. For you, sh- you must strike the Syrians at Aphek till you have destroyed them. And then Elisha said to him, Now take the arrows. And so he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, Strike the ground. And so he struck the ground three times and stopped. And the man of God, notice, was angry with him. And said, you should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck Syria till you have had destroyed it. But now you will strike Syria only three times. And so as was his faith, as was his zeal, that's what he got. That's what he got. And so there's an element of faith here, isn't there? And God wants to encourage our faith today because I think as we go on in time, the Lord's going to exercise that faith perhaps more than we would like. (laughs) And so be prepared. But sometimes we can limit God, and you may be saying to yourself, how can we limit God? Well, we can limit him by our unbelief. Jesus said in Matthew 11, now in the morning as they passed by, they saw a fig tree dried up from the roots, and Peter, remembering, because Jesus the prior day had cursed the tree, and now the next day they go and they find the fig tree dried up by the the roots, and Peter says, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away, and so Jesus answered and said unto him, have faith in God. Notice, for assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things which he says will be Done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. And see, in America, we think, well, I just pray for anything so I can consume it on my lust, and there's scriptures about that. Don't do that. Because when we do that, we ask amiss. We all want the, the bigger house, the nicer car, the, you know, the, the pretty spouse or the handsome spouse, whatever it may be. And, and, and we, we, we ask amiss and we don't receive because we, our hearts aren't right in it. But if you ask something and it's of the Lord, he's going to give it to you. It may not be at this moment. You know, you could, have, you could pray for something that's in his will and you might not see it today. You might not see it tomorrow. You may see it a month from now, a year from now. And that's where the patience comes in and for you to just continue to pray. Because prayer is a hard thing, isn't it? It ought to be the most simple thing in the world But there is a warfare about prayer, isn't there? The devil doesn't want you to pray. Because it's one of the most powerful things we have in our arsenal is prayer. How many people, how many thousands and millions and hundreds of millions of prayers went up to the Lord to overturn Roe v. Wade? And think about the unlikely time that that was overturned in this administration. Of all the administrations that have ever happened, it happened, in my opinion, probably the most darkest moment in our history. And that's when it happened. Maybe God did that as a way to bring a little bit of spring to our step and going, you know what, now's the time. And it doesn't make sense. The world is saying, no, it can't happen now. It can't. It will not happen now. And God says, oh, it's going to happen because I'm going to make it happen. Because my people have been praying for 50 years, and I'm going to bring it past to pass in the darkest moment of their history. I'm going to do it right now. And he did it. It's history. So, prayer is significant, it's something that God wants us to do. And it requires faith, it requires fortitude. Because everything is going to come at you when you go to pray. That's why we have our prayer meetings. That's why I ask you to pray about the school. Pray for your own life, certainly. Pray for the church, the health of the church. Pray that God would open our eyes. Pray that He would that we would put away all of the things in our life that are getting in the way of us serving Him effectively, and putting away the sins that so so easily beset us, and putting away those things that we know are wrong, and and not flirt with them ever again. May God do a new. Thing May God do a wonderful thing. I'm begging him to do it. Verse 7, it says, Then she came and she told the man of God about what happened. And he said, Go sell the oil and pay your debt and, and, and you and your sons live on the rest. And, and, and so she trusted in God. Do you trust in God? I said it before earlier, and I'll say it again. We're going to come to a place, I believe, where we're going to have to trust God a lot more than we ever have. We're going to. Now, he may give us a reprieve. I don't know. I don't know. But we know, haven't we been talking in Revelation? Haven't we been looking at the end and the things that are coming? And lo and behold, we see those things coming can you see them coming? They have been coming. And we've talked about them. I've talked about them. We've read about them. And now they're starting to come to pass. And everybody, even in the church, oh, that's just coincidence. Hey, you better wake up. You better wake up, church. We need to wake ourselves up. God help us. Do we believe the word of God? Do we even trust him? And again, there's nothing wrong with preparing for disasters and preparing money for a rainy day and for things. All that's, all that's fine and good because even with your preparation or the lack of your preparation, God has a way of touching those things and causing your little nest egg to evaporate. And then what are you going to do? Who are you going to call on? In other countries, they've got it so much better than us because they have nothing and they see miracles because they have no other recourse. They have to cry to God. And if he doesn't show up, people die. People don't have food to eat. But in America, not so. We'll just put it on the credit card. When we don't have a means to pay it back. We have our safety nets. And again, there's nothing wrong with safety nets. But are we going to trust God? I, 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 I wonder how we're going to do if things get really bad. It's just something to pray about. Say, Lord, make my faith bulletproof. That can withstand anything that comes at it. So let's look at verse 8. So now it happened one day that Elisha went to Shunem... Where there was a notable woman, this this a notable woman is really just a woman who is wealthy, a woman of means, and she persuaded him to eat some food. And so it was, as often as he passed by, he would turn in there to eat some food. So just like Elijah, Elisha was very itinerant. He would go to these different schools of the prophets, and he would be on this track and on his way to going to and from these places. He would stop by this woman in Shunam who was married and. And this this place called Shunem is about five miles south of Mount Tabor. Uh, Mount Tabor is in the upper part of, uh, right to the, literally almost right at the very uh, northern, uh, excuse me, southern tip of the Sea of Galilee, going westward, and it's right near, uh, not too far away from Mount Tabor, about five miles. In fact, when we're in Israel and you're standing on Mount Carmel, you can actually see Mount Tabor. It looks like the hump of a camel. And you can see it on a clear day very easily. And so just south of that was where all this occurred. And so this woman, you know, he stops by there and um, she and her husband are pretty wealthy. And so she said to her husband, look now, I know that this is a holy man of God who passes by us regularly and so please let us make a small upper room on the wall and let us put a bed for him there and a table and a chair and a lampstand. so it will be um, whenever he comes to us, he can turn in there. And, and I think of this, and what an amazing woman this is. You, you know, the, the husband didn't initiate it, in big surprise, right? <laughs> it's always the women. Guys, you'd better wake up. Why is, the, why is your wife the one who wears the spiritual pants in the family? Where are you? Are you playing golf? Are you playing video games? What are you doing with your life? Yes, I'm getting on your case, because I'm going to get on my case. Where are the men? But the woman, she initiates, you know, this guy is a holy man of God, and of course they love God. Let's build a house. Okay, yeah, let's do that, you know, and so they do. Praise the Lord. And what an amazing act of benevolence, you know. I I love the fact that this um, woman does this, and it reminded me of a, a passage in Mark's gospel in chapter 10, verse 23. Let me just read it to you. You can write down the reference, Mark 10 verse 23, it begins there. But it says that Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished at his words, but Jesus answered again and said to them, children, how hard is it for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Think of how interesting that would be. Um, Then for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God, and they were greatly astonished, saying among themselves, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them, and he said, with men it's impossible, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. And then Peter said to him, see, we have left all, and we have followed you. We've left everything and followed you. And and Jesus answered and said, and here it is, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold, not notice, now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions. I love how he sticks that in there, lest we get too comfortable and in the age to come eternal life so elisha had one home but now this woman as jesus shared here shared here because of his devotion to god he's got another home to go to it belongs to somebody else but he as he comes and goes he's got a place to stay think about that as you travel around the country you know, you go to California, you go down to Florida, and you never have to get into a hotel because you know somebody's down there and you stay with this person a few days and that person a few days. Next thing you know, your trip is no longer, you know, eight thousand dollars, it's only a thousand dollars. Because you have houses of brothers and sisters in other places, and they open themselves up to you. And that's what this woman did. Amazing. What a beautiful heart. Verse 11, and it happened one day that he came there and he turned into the upper room and lay down there. And then he said to Gehazi, his servant, call this Shunammite woman. And when he had called her, she stood before him and he said to him, uh, said to Gehazi, Elisha said to Gehazi, say now to her, look, you have been concerned, and this idea is to be anxiously careful. You've been anxiously careful uh, with us for all of this care. What can I do for you? Do you want me to speak on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? And she answered, I dwell among my own people. You know, it seems that she had a great reverence for the Lord and as a result wanted to do something. He wanted to do something, um, or she wanted to do something she could, to be a help and a blessing to God's servant. And it really is wonderful when we see this thing happening in the church, just people who got that gift of giving and that heart of hospitality because there are many people in this fellowship who have that heart, and you're no, and you've shown it by proving it. May we all have the same kind of heart. But this is uh, interesting because it appears in this verse that Elisha had enough rapport with the king of Israel to approach him on behalf of this woman's needs. And you may be asking, the king of Israel and Elisha—that that seems like a problem. Uh, 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 One is one way and one is the other. How could they have this rapport? Well, Elisha didn't compromise, but Joash, or the king of Israel, admired him. Even though he didn't like him, probably at times, he admired him. He knew he was a man of God. It reminds me of that proverb in Proverbs 16. It says, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. And it's true. What's even more remarkable is that the woman didn't want anything the king had to offer, but was, she was just content with what she had, except that she didn't have a child. She had everything, or, you know, life, she had everything, everybody, you know, anybody could want. She She's wealthy.
0: That's the end of our lesson for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 2 Kings.